Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And today we have an interview with Alessandra Torre. Oh, it's such a good interview. Yes, we talked about a lot of stuff in this interview. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Alessandra is amazing. I mean, she's just... She's a great author, but she's also just this great community member. And, you know, we talk about Mm -hmm. that a lot on this podcast, being a good community member. But she has, she does a lot of free kind of mini course things that she just gives away. She gives away a lot of information. She also has courses that she sells, but, but mostly she just gives away a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. She has a lot of good stuff just on her website and there'll be links to that in the show notes. And, and we talked about, um, like I asked her how she does everything because Mm -hmm. she has a lot going on. And so, um, she had an interesting reply to that. And, um, yeah, it was just really good. And we talked about movies. She's had a movie made out of one of her books Mm -hmm. or two of them. She came close and then she had an actual movie made. Mm -hmm. So, Lots of good, yeah. unusual information in this one. Right, right. And then she talks about Goodreads, which I've talked about Goodreads a lot and a lot of the things I've posted um, back during the summer where my book came out. We had a household emergency and I lost most of my budget for my launch. And I got online and started trying to figure out how I was going to save it. And I found Alessandra's Goodreads webinar. And it saved my launch, completely saved my launch. So if you guys, we've, I've told you about my launch plan on my website. Um, in that launch plan is the web, the link to the webinar for this, for um, Alessandra's Goodreads webinar. So good, y'all. So you, you do have to give me your email when you sign, when you get the launch plan. But I, I don't She's not going to bother I'm you. Gonna, I'm not going to bother you. So. So um, that's just how how it's set up. So yeah, you, you would really want to get that Goodreads um, uh, webinar, or you can just Google it. I'm sure that you can find yeah. it that way. But, yeah. but we'll yeah. put a link to it in the show notes. Oh yeah, so. uh, she's awesome. I mean, she's just great. Lots of good information. Yeah. Um, what's been going on with you? Well, um, I am started on the next high society book, and mm. it's going okay. So, but I do have a couple of things I wanted to share. Okay. Um, great. One is just encouraging and good news, and there's so much doom and gloom right now. I mm-hmm. thought this was cool. So the bookstore downtown in Houston, Murdered by the Book, oh, they had it. to shut down. You know, they're such oh. a great store, but they had yeah. to shut down for the COVID lockdown and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so they sent out an email the other day that they were going to be fine because they had been selling stuff online, and they said they started selling jigsaw puzzles as well as books. And I know they've always had, like, books and bugs and stuff like mm-hmm. that and puzzles. But they said they sold so many old-fashioned jigsaw puzzles that they're fine. They're going to be able to meet, like, payroll and, you know, their oh, that's awesome. uh, all their bills and stuff. So, yeah. so that was cool. So they're going to be yeah. okay. So and, if you're uh, in Houston or you come to Houston, you should definitely try to get by Murder 
order by the book. It's the coolest little bookstore. And they have great signings. They have all these fantastic people that come and sign there. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've been really innovative because now they're doing curbside. You can't go in and browse right now, but you can call and order, go pick up your books curbside. And that was their issue was they had to close down their signings because that's where they get a lot of their traffic from. So they've done like um, online uh, interviews. They've done um, like they're doing these things called from our house to yours where they record a little video of books they recommend and put it up on Instagram. So it is because they're indie, you know, they can do interesting things. Right. And that goes with their branding too, because if you go in their store, it always says, you know, Joe's recommendations Mm -hmm. or Peggy's recommendations around the store. They have those up, you know, and the the, Joe and Peggy are their workers or whatever their names are. And uh, so, yeah, that, that just goes to branding. So that's very cool. So, so anyway, I thought that would be encouraging and people would like that. And then I listened to a very interesting podcast, the, um, novel marketing podcast and it was about COVID-19. Did you listen? I did. And I, I had that on my list to talk about. That's so funny. <laughs> because I just thought it was fascinating because it was much more not about the, it was geared towards publishing and what's going to happen in publishing, but it wasn't all industry news. It was right. more about what people will want to read about, what readers right. will want. And so right. I just thought it was fascinating. So what did you think yeah. of it? Oh, I thought it was great. I, I really thought it was great. And I, that's one of, has become one of my favorite podcasts, the novel marketing podcast. We need to really have Thomas on here because yes, we'd he's love to. a really smart guy and uh, he's fellow Texan. And so, yeah. uh, and he has a little bit yeah. different take on things. He's got he more does. Of the marketing point yes. of view and we're also down in the writing that sometimes mm-hmm. we need that extra point of view. So yeah, that'd be right, great. Right. I yeah. like how he doesn't, um, Nothing freaks him, you know, nothing panics him, I feel like, you know, and, but there've been several interviews that I have really, really liked. Uh, I love, one of my favorites is creating urgency for your book. Like, you know, how to do that. Really such a good podcast and just things that we don't, we want to do, but we don't really Mm -hmm. think about how you break that down. Yeah. It's very much like hands-on, like this is how this Mm -hmm. works. He had one on psychographics, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. It helped me understand like how to think about advertising in a different way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So we'll link to all those in the show notes if anybody's interested. Yeah. I mean, we get nothing from this. We just like the podcast. So yeah, that's true. Um, So what about you? What have you been doing? Well, uh, I've been busy, Um, you know, still doing baby stuff and he's, getting so big and he's awake more, you know, so that's, that's always creating a little bit of, yeah, a little challenge, but, um, but he's precious and we just have had, I mean, honest to gosh, if it hadn't been for him, we would have probably all killed each other by now. He's just been a blessing during this time. But, um, I'm today and tomorrow will finish up everything with my homecoming King book. And it will go to the beta readers and then it goes to the editor on the 12th. So even in the midst of all this, I finished a book, which is just for me amazing because I so so great concentration has been an issue. And, you know, I mean, it's taken longer even than it should have just during this time and getting going through edits and stuff. Cause I'll edit for a little bit and then I got to get up and walk around. Cause I just, mm-hmm. it's concentration is just hard right now. Um, so that's very exciting. Um, I put up the third chapter of my love quarantine and other inconveniences on my website, and that's gotten lots of good um, 
feedback and stuff. And then another, two fun things have happened this week. Um, one, a novella for my bride's books, my Brides on the Run series. I have a novella called There Goes the Bride. And it was featured on Read Me Romance. And what they do on Read Me Romance is they take your novella and they make an audio book out of it. And they play half of it on Monday and half of it on Friday. And y'all, the narrator is amazing. It's just, it's been such a positive um, experience. And I've been in the, the Facebook group and just talking to people. And people are so nice. They're just so nice. And so that's been really cool. And then I was interviewed on the draft to digital spotlight this week. So that was fun. I always yeah. love talking to so, yeah, he's great. And I tried yeah. to watch that, but my internet was so bad. I haven't yeah, had a well, chance we to had see inter- it. We had an internet glitch, but then it came back on, so it was fine. But we were in Houston, and we it was raining during that uh-huh. time. And you would think in one of you know, the third largest city in the country. Are we the third? Third or fourth? Whatever. Third, third, third oh, yeah. fifth or something um, like that. You would, we would have excellent internet, but or it wouldn't be affected when it rains, but that's not the case around here. So, no, no, it's one of those first world challenges yeah, that we have to deal with. For us. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so it's it's been a good week, and um, I've heard really positive things from our interview with Elena last yeah. week. Yeah, people love really excited to hear from her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a different perspective and, and, you know, writing in a smaller niche and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So that was, it was really good, but yeah. So I think we should get on to the show. Sounds good. All right. A New York times USA today and wall street journal bestselling author, Alessandra Torrey has written 22 novels, including three New York times bestsellers. Torrey is also the creator of Alessandra Torrey Inc an author's community and online school with over 10,000 members. She is also the founder of InkersCon, an annual author's conference. A self-publishing advocate, Alessandra speaks frequently to universities, conventions, and author groups. We're super excited to have Alessandra Torre with us today. Hello, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, we have a long list of questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) But um, would you start by just telling us a little bit about the genres you write in? and how you got into writing. Absolutely. So I write um, mostly romance. Uh, I also write suspense, and I write a lot of my suspense novels under a separate pseudonym, um, A.R. Tory. And I got into writing in 2012. Uh, It was just kind of one of those whims, like I had a summer ahead of me, and I had just learned about self-publishing, and I thought, if I could write a book and no one ever needed to know about it and I could just, you know, (laughs) publish it on my own without having to face the rejection of publishers and agents, like, why not? Like this, this will be my summer project. And I'm so grateful and glad that that book ended up just taking off and becoming huge because it gave me the confidence to write more books and, um, and the understanding that this is actually something I could do you know, as a job. Uh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. You know, I very easily could have, I was talking to Colleen Hoover about this. I very easily could have just, just said like, well, that was fun. And then, you know, gotten another normal job. Uh, so I'm, I'm very glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us what your first big success was. My first big success was my first book. It was called Blindfolded Innocence. Um, it really didn't do much for the first three months. I sold anywhere from five to 
15 copies a day for those first several months. And then, um, and then one day I was looking at it and I was looking at my sales and I thought, you know, I think I'll just change the description. Like, I think, I think I'll just read the description. So I changed the description, wrote a new blurb, what we call blurb, the, the description of the book. And I uploaded it uh, to Amazon and I went to bed and the next morning I had like 120 sales and then the next morning I had 400 sales and literally my sales oh, wow. just started doubling just every single day. And what it made me realize is like so many people had clicked on my cover cause I had this like scandalous eye catching cover. They clicked on my cover and then been like, read the blurb and been like, eh, you know, yeah, I'm going to look at a different <laughs> book. And you just don't know. You have no idea how many eyes are on your book and people aren't buying it. Like we just don't have access to that data, right? Unless you're using a bit.ly link. But I wasn't doing anything back then. I didn't have a website, didn't have social media, I didn't have ads. I was just I was just on Amazon. But so many people were clicking on that cover and then saying no. And it took me changing that blurb for them to click on that cover and say, Oh, this is something I want. And that book ended up hitting like the top 10 of Amazon agents were calling me publishers were calling me and I um, signed a two book deal with Harlequin, a six figure deal. Um, and that really was just the launch of my career. And then it took six more books before I hit that, before I hit that level again. Mm, wow. It, and that's something. It is interesting how things um, ebb and flow or surge and, you know, so it's, it's great that you hit big early because did that give you the, uh, did you, did it it help you keep going? Yeah, it did two things. One, um, that, that book deal gave me this lump of money where it was suddenly like, oh, like, okay, like this can fund, you know, the next three years of my life. Um, right. so that allowed me to really stop my job search cause I was looking for a job at the time. So stop my job search and really focus on writing as a, as a job, um, and envision it as a future. It also gave me a lot of confidence cause I didn't have really any confidence in my, in my writing. The reason why I self-published and we did not tell a soul. I mean, it was me and my husband and my husband told my sister cause he's just incapable of keeping a secret, but um, <laughs> it was just the three of us, you know, so no one knew about it. And I wasn't, it wasn't something I was, I didn't know if I was good. I didn't know if I was bad. I didn't know anything. And um, so it really made me, gave me confidence where I felt like I could maybe, you know, write something that people would want. Um, and, and that, and that gave me the groundwork that I needed. So looking back now, what do you wish you had known about writing and craft? Um, Everything. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't we all? <laughs> Everything. You know, I never, um, I never thought about writing before I wrote that book. I was always a reader, which in retrospect, that's the best training, honestly, if if you can just read an enormous amount and, and learn what you like as a reader and what you don't like as a reader and how a story is told I agree. and reading good stuff, like that's, there's a lot of, especially with self-publishing, there's a lot of bad books out there and, um, and you want to read really high quality stuff so that you can learn how it should be done. So I knew that I knew how, I didn't know that I knew that, but I knew how a story should be told. I knew how I liked a story to be told. I, I knew what, point of view I liked and um and so that helped me but there were so many mistakes gosh that I made like one mistake was that book deal um 
I took that book deal and I sold Harlequin, the first two books of my trilogy. And they waited 18 months to release the sequel. And, um, and that just killed that trilogy. And that, that could have been a really valuable earning tool for me, especially back then. Gosh, in 2000, mm-hmm. I remember me and Rain Miller both went to auction. Auction is when publishers bid against your book. We both went to auction the same day. Cause I remember being like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, and she had this series called naked. Um, it was a black, the Blackstone, um, trilogy at Blackstone. I'm almost positive is what it's called. And, um, and I took my deal and she didn't take her deal. And she went on to get a seven figure deal on that, on that trilogy. Um, after she made money on book one and book two, you know, wow. and then I was like, man, like, why didn't I, you know, like, I was sitting here like celebrating my, you know, deal and she did it right, you know. Um, yeah. But also at the same time, if you talk to her, I did talk to her afterwards. She regretted selling that series to them because back in those days, there was so much you could do. You could still do so much. With, I mean, the, a trilogy is a very powerful thing, especially a popular trilogy to have in your backlist. And, um, mm-hmm. And I'll never earn another dollar off that. I still, to this day, owe Harlequin hundreds of thousands of dollars on that advance. Um, and I'll, I'll never get it back unless I just write them a big check, which I don't have a big check right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's one mistake I made. Another mistake I made, you know, is I just, I wrote that first book and I read it over a couple times and I had a homemade cover and I was like, yep, looks good. And I published it, you know, and I published it with no platform in place. I don't mean like I had readers in place. I mean, I didn't have any way to collect readers. I, if a reader loved that book and they wanted to know when the sequel came out, I didn't have an email list sign up. I didn't have anything. So that first right. hit was like a waste, you know. Um, I didn't have a Facebook account for them to follow me on. Some, somebody come left a review and they said, I can't find this author anywhere. She's not even on Goodreads. And I literally was like, what's Goodreads? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so right then and there that day, that was back when I read all my reviews, right then I went and opened a Goodreads account. But, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I made, I made a lot of mistakes. Probably the biggest mistake I made was that I was not consistent um, in the type of stories I was telling. Mm-hmm. And that was because I never planned on writing romance. I never read romance. My first book was a romance just because I didn't know what to write about. So I wrote about me and my husband and how we met. And I just plagiarized our entire love story. You know? um, but, but other than, um, uh, then my next book was this erotic suspense about a girl who wanted to kill people. And, um, and then I wrote, you know, a sexy romance or something else. And I just jumped, I throughout my, and it's, a, and it's something I know I'm doing and I'm still doing it because I like to write what I like to write. But if I could have done something differently that really would have changed the success of my career, it would have been to write that first book. And when it hit, I just kept writing that type of book. Um, I, I was talking to somebody at Amazon yeah. the other day and they said the authors that are killing it, they write a, Irish medieval romance and it hits big and they just keep writing Irish medieval romances with a hint of humor or whatever it was mm-hmm. that, that first one was just keep writing that same dang thing and, and yeah. build an audience who wants that. And that's what to do. But a lot of times we jump all over the place because we're trying to figure out what, 
And sometimes you have to do that, you know, like Megan March took off when she started writing trilogies with this certain, you know, certain type of alpha male and certain storyline. And then when she found that niche, she stuck in it. And that is why everybody knows Megan March's name. But there, she struggled for a while. I mean, she was, she was having some success. People were liking her books, but you didn't know that name. Um, uh-huh. until she found her niche and then she stuck to it and that, and that's what you really got to do. And I'm horrible right. at that. I'm just terrible. At well, it. you may say you're horrible, but you're, you've done really well. You, I mean, I've done well despite that, that, it. I've done well despite it. Yes, honestly. But yeah, I, I agree. I think now I think you do better if you just jump in and stay with what you have. And you know, I have four brides books, runaway brides. And my next book is a sports romance. And I'm like, you know, this might be a big mistake. <laughs> At the time I was thinking, oh, well, it's a funny book. People are going to, but I don't know. I don't, I didn't realize until after I'd written that fourth Brides book that people really like Runaway Brides. I didn't mm-hmm. really, I just thought it was they liked funny books. I didn't know that, you know, so we'll see. And it I'll might you know be, it might be that they like funny books. And it's tempting because I know what it's like. It's like you look over and you're like, man, this girl's killing it in, you know, um, rom-coms you know so I like I'm like why don't I and I had this rom-com idea and I'm like why don't I write a rom-com and I can get some of that new audience no like that's (laughs) like like, like, no like that's not what I should have done you know and now my literal worst performer is this rom-com which I like but when somebody thinks Alessandra Tori they don't think rom-com you know so the problem is at at this point they almost don't know what to think and and there needs to be when someone thinks of your brand they need to be like oh I know what she writes um, right. you know, and I like what no, she writes or I don't like what she writes, but either way they need to, they need to have an idea in their head of when they, when they think of you. Yeah. Right. Right. Usually right here we jump in and ask about what you wish you'd known about marketing, but I want to go back and ask you about Goodreads because, um, you opened my eyes to Goodreads completely. I watched the, um, <laughs> webinar from you and I was like oh my gosh because you, you know, when you say goodreads in a room of authors you hear this collective groan yes. and, yeah and you, you don't mind just really quickly speaking to like the benefits of goodreads I mean it's it's I, I see the benefits but I think you can explain it better than me well, I know no problem so, so yeah. yeah um <laughs> I did a podcast yesterday we talked, that's all we talked about was Goodreads. I love Goodreads. So here, here's the deal about Goodreads. If you are an author, which I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you are an author. Um, at some point in time, and if it hasn't happened yet, it will. Someone will come to you and they will grab you by the shoulders and shake you and go, do not ever go near Goodreads. Stay away from Goodreads. Goodreads is the devil. You know, <laughs> what are you thinking? Run in the other direction. Uh, it will happen. It, they might not be in front of you, especially not right now, but <laughs> but it'll happen. Um, and I'm going to be the person on the other side of the fence telling you that that is absolutely incorrect. Um, Goodreads, if you're not familiar with it, it is a social media platform. It's a website that is 100% focused on books, reviewing books, recommending books to others, sharing your thoughts on a book, and finding a new book. That is its entire and sole purpose. Why, as an author, would you not want to be a part of that? It does not make any sense. It has over 80 million readers. It's worldwide. It's every genre you could ever imagine. And it's the place. If you're going out in a new genre, please don't. 
But if you are, <laughs> that's where you find those people. That is how you can find a specific niche that is interested in a, in a book um, and you can get it out there. And um, it, people love to say that Goodreads is just horrible and filled with negativity, but I can tell you I've been an active member of Goodreads for over seven years. I've had two negative experiences in those times. And both of those negative experiences, the entire bulk of the negative experience was me reading just a really hateful review and, and me getting my feelings hurt. And that was it. That I didn't respond. I didn't engage. I don't know that that reader ever knew that I read that review, but that was the extent of it. And you know what? The reviews that hurt the most are the ones that are true. Like those, yeah. like <laughs> my, my early review, I had this scathing review about where someone let out five paragraphs about how Alessandra Torre was not a woman. She was a man who was writing erotica and this was the proof she had. That review did not hurt me in the slightest because <laughs> I know that I'm not a, a man, right? But um, that was before I had like my photo or any website or anything. Um, but, but, you know, some of the really hurtful reviews are because they're true because this person was talking about how annoying my heroine was and then set out 15 instances where my hair heroin was really annoying and made stupid decisions. And it was like, man, wow. you know, like she's right. But, um, and that hurts, you know, but, but that's really the extent of my, now there are some people, some authors who cannot keep themselves from reading. For, I, when I go on Goodreads, I filter my reviews by five and four stars. And those are the only ones I read uh, unless I have a book that's really not doing well. And I want to know why. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'll read negative reviews, but some authors cannot help themselves. Like they just, they just got to read the negative reviews. And if you're that type of author, and if you're the type of author that can't help, but respond and engage with those people, then yes, I would suggest you stay away from Goodreads. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's not, that's not me. Um, Goodreads but has good, been an incredible but- place for me. Yeah, but bad reviews can be found anywhere, yeah, not, not just Goodreads, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I don't know that that's a reason to stay away from the platform, no, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that the reason I found uh, Alessandra's webinar on Goodreads is because I, back in the summer I had a launch, and it was going to be my biggest launch, and I had my biggest budget. Everything was going to be, I mean, I was basically just going to run ads. That's all I was going to do. And hit the top 100. I knew I could do it. With with the money I had, I just felt like I could do it. And um, two weeks before our air conditioner exploded and most of that money had to go to And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I found your webinar. And, you know, one of the things you say is the five things you can do on Goodreads, five tools on Goodreads that you can use for, to launch a book and only one of them costs money. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And I, I jumped in and I did pretty much all of them. Yeah. And it was one of the best launches I've ever had. And I, and I did not hit the top 100, but I came pretty close and I spent a lot less money than I would have spent. And I really do think it's because I'm really engaged in with Goodreads and with readers on there and, and my readers on there and uh, the giveaways and stuff like that. So anyway, thank you. But um, I just, and and I can go to Goodreads and not even look at my reviews. I mean, I just, I can't say that about Amazon all the time, but I I don't even look at the good ones on it, on Mm -hmm. Goodreads because it is a slippery slope, you know, (laughs) see that that little star review and you're like, Oh, I want to, 
click on it, but I'm not. So yeah. They are, Goodreads reviewers are, if you look at a book's average review on Amazon and average review on Goodreads, the Goodreads re- average review is going to be lower. Goodreads yeah. reviewers are pickier, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's because you've got honest book discussion and every book you read, you don't love. And so mm-hmm. that's, I mean, people trust those reviews more. A five-star and a four-star review mean more there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, they, and they actually are reading those reviews where on Amazon, unless 90% of the Amazon reviews don't get read. You know, they look, they look at the average star rating. They might read a couple of the bad ones and a couple of the good ones. And that's it where Goodreads there's actually, those reviews are actually showing up in news feeds on Goodreads and yeah. um, in, on their friends pages. And so those reviews are actually getting read. Yeah. That's how I got reviews on my first indie book because I couldn't get uh, my traditional reviewers weren't interested in an indie book. And so I did, this was back when you could do giveaways it didn't cost anything. And I did giveaways on Goodreads and library thing. Mm-hmm. And that was how I got reviews. That's how I started. So it's a good place to start, you know, if you don't have a following or platform. So that was really good for me. So, um, another thing we wanted to ask you about was your like building a tribe because you have the ability to uh, draw people to you, I guess I'd say like mm-hmm. you've, you've created um, your anchors group and uh, started a conference with that. So can you talk just a little bit about that, about like how you started that and um, any um, tips or ideas you have that would be helpful for people who are trying to gather people for either like maybe nonfiction or fiction? So, um, so when I first started publishing, I like didn't talk to a soul um, in terms of other authors. I just didn't even know that that existed. And there wasn't really back, I started in 2012, there wasn't the community that there is now. But it wasn't until I really started making connections with other authors that my career took off. Um, and that was because, you know, I, I mean, my still, the first five author friends that I made are still probably my closest author friends. And, um, and that was great. I remember, you know, I was looking at a $7,000 Amazon ad. This was back in the day when you couldn't get Amazon ads. Like you just couldn't get them. And if, if you were going to get them, the only way you could do it was buy this $25,000 package which you could go in with other authors. So I was looking at, you know, $7,000. But it was like, it was, I was going to have to try and see. And C.D. Reese did it. And thank God she did. Because <laughs> C.D. told me, she said, Alessandra, I could have lit that money on fire on Facebook and gotten more <laughs> attention than I got with this Amazon ad. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, I'm going to crest that on my list. Like, do not spend $7,000 on this Amazon ad package. Yeah. Um, so you, author friends are valuable in so, so many different ways. Like mental support. This is yes. a weird, odd, crazy business. And our family and friends do not understand it. Like, first of all, they literally don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can, expl- you'd, it would take forever. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's taken seven, eight years and he now knows what KDP is, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, barely. I mean, so, um, so they don't understand that, but they also don't understand what's involved in being a writer and just the highs and the lows mm-hmm. and the mental game. And so you need that emotional support of other authors. You need the, um, the knowledge uh, their mistakes as much as what they're doing right. I mean, to help you 
And, um, and I'm a full fan of just total transparency. I'll share numbers with people. I'll share what works and what doesn't, because that is really how we're all going to, going to succeed. And there's enough readers to go around, especially if you're in a genre like romance where, I mean, these readers are just reading a book a day, you know? So, so there's really, there's really enough business, um, for us to go around. So, so absolutely. If you are not already involved in a writing community, um, and, and there's several different types. First of all, no matter what city you live in, I live in an Island with like 6,000 people and we have like two or three different local, local writers groups. So what, wherever you live, I assure you that there's a local authors group. Um, that's a great place to find in, in person, you know, like a local connection, even if they write something totally different than you, it's still just great. You can meet, meet up together. I mean, maybe not right now. We're in the middle. I don't know when this is going to air, but we're in the middle of coronavirus stuff. But you know, when, once all this passes, you can get together and have writing sprints and things like that. So it's great to have an accountability partner. It doesn't have to be in your genre um, to make sure that you're sticking to your writing goals and writing every day or writing on the days you should. But online, there are so many. I have one, Alexander Tory Inkers. It's a great place to join and search. If you have a question, search the group, see if someone else has asked that question. And there's so much information there and recommendations and finding an editor or proofreader or cover designer. You know, if you just even have a dumb question or you're feeling down or you're feeling up and you want to celebrate with a group, like it's just a great place to be. Um, and I don't mean our, my group. I just mean being in a writing community is a great place to be. Right. And right. the number one thing I've done my entire career that has really made a difference is go to, go to writing conferences. And <clears throat> um, Sarah mentioned InkersCon. InkersCon is primary, is completely for fiction authors. We do have a few nonfiction, but it's all for fiction authors of all genres. Um, but conferences, there's just something, I don't know what it is. It's just something in the air. Like you leave there and you feel revived and you feel just ready to tackle the world. And you can have that rare opportunity to meet face to face with someone who you may have communicated with online for years and, um, or weeks, but it's just, it's just being able to put a name and a face and chat with somebody and listen to somebody amazing speak. It's just powerful. Um, so it, this, this year, I don't know what's going on with InkersCon, but we are at least doing a digital version of the conference. Um, you can check it out and I'll be sure to give you guys a link that, um, for, um, for the, uh, early registration discount. Um, but, and, and if you can't wait until July when InkersCon will come <laughs> out at Inker 2019 conference is all available right now online. And we have over 24 presentations in uh, writing, business, craft, and advertising. And it's just it's just awesome content. Um, and that really came about because it was like I had online courses. I was teaching everything I knew, but everything I knew, know is just a very small corner of, of the market. And you really need to hear from a lot of different voices who've, who've tried different things and, and succeeded and failed in different areas. Um, and that was really why, when I expanded and, and we started in GrossCon. What I really love, Alessandra, is that um, your like your online stuff. Most of it is free. I mean, mm-hmm. if not, I don't think all. It's of not it's all free. of it. Yeah, no, but a it's lot not, of it yeah. is free, and it's a lot of really good information. Like because I've been doing this now almost three years, so um, I think it was the after the first year. I 
I found one of your courses and I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I had seen this a year ago. This would have changed it. You know, it would have really cut down my workload. But then I started watching some of them. It was just, there's such good information. And what I, and I love that you're, because you've done this for a long time, you're giving back. And that is really what your Facebook group, the English Facebook group is about too. I mean, it's experienced authors, it's new authors, it's lots of good information. So yeah, I totally 100% agree that, you know, being with your people, being with other writers, whether it's virtually or in person, is so, so important. So anyway, and I, I will, oh, well, thank you. That means a lot because <laughs> a lot of, a lot of time and effort goes into the, into all of that. As y'all know, y'all are doing the same thing. Um, but I will, I will say when you do start to get involved and one of the things it's not, um, one of the things is to really take the time to learn because I really didn't start learning until I started teaching courses. And that was when I was like, Oh, like I need to know not just my process of outlining or lack of outlining, but what other people do because you know, my process isn't going to work for every one of these students. Um, and once I started learning, um, and really focused on making that a part of my daily activity and career was learning more. Um, a lot changed for me. A lot became so much easier. Um, so the more you can learn, and that's one of those really easy things to miss because it's like, oh, I got to write another book. And it's like, oh, I need to market this book. And it's like, oh, I'm trying 50 things. Mm-hmm. And unless you're paying attention to your results, and are able to gauge what actions are causing what results, you're wasting a lot of your time. Because that's another thing, like with these reviews, it's really easy for us to throw everything against the wall. And then if it's successful or if it's not successful, we don't know why. Um, Because we we were trying so many different things. So so I always, I try to do a lot of things in between releases. Um, You know, I'll try a newsletter promo that I haven't tried or something like that just at a random time where I know nothing else is affecting this book sales right now, except for this one activity, whether it's liking reviews on Goodreads consistently every day that week, you know, just trying one activity and then gauging if it had an impact so that you can then put that in the check mark of, yes, I'm going to keep doing this or no, this is a complete waste of my time. Yeah, that's really good. So you've also um, had at least one of your books made into a movie, correct? Yep. Hollywood Dirt. Hollywood Dirt. Love that book. Um, but you, it was on Passion Flicks. And so for people who don't know what Passion Flicks is, it's a, it's a subscription service, but mostly it's for romance. Yes. It's romance books. I mean, romance movies. Um, a lot of books have been made into movies, but they have older movies too. Like they have, uh, well, at one time they had Somewhere in Time, which is one of my all time favorite <laughs> movies. And, um, it's an oldie, but a goodie. But, uh, can you talk about that experience? And are you planning to do any more of those, or has it? Have you been uh, any of your other books been optioned or anything? Yeah. So um, my first book that was optioned was *The Girl in Six E, which was actually the second book I ever wrote. It was the erotic thriller about the girl who wanted to kill people, um, <laughs> and that was a three-year experience that just, gosh, getting a book option is one of those exciting and just, just emotionally exhausting processes because um, that book garnered a lot of attention early on. And and throughout the last seven years that I've had with that book, um, it's been optioned multiple times and 
It's just a roller coaster. It got to the point when Passion Flix called me about Hollywood dirt. I was honestly like so jaded about Hollywood. <laughs> like, you know, I, I was like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll talk to you guys on the phone. But I was thinking like, this isn't going to go anywhere, you know, um, but I'll, I'll have a phone call with anybody, you know? So I said, yeah, I'll talk to you guys on the phone. So I talked to them on the phone and they sounded great. And they're like, we want to make it this movie exactly like the book. And I was like, okay, that sounds good to me. You know, send me the paperwork. And they, and, and I signed it. And I will tell you, I did not believe that that movie was going to happen until <laughs> I was standing on set. I mean, I'm, I'm, driving to the set it was like a six-hour drive and I still am like yeah this isn't gonna happen you can get there to be totally deserted I'm gonna get there and I'm like look something happened (laughs) thought it was all lined up but whatever it was I mean I was literally like in a Dunkin Donuts factory x factory x Dunkin Donuts factory and it was like 28 degrees outside and we couldn't run the heater in the factory because it was too loud. You know, the set has to be like silent. So we're all sitting there shivering and I'm watching the cameras roll. And I was like, Oh my God, like, I think, I think this is happening. Like I think all these people are here and there's food and, and they're like rolling cameras and this might be actually happening. Um, but, but I didn't think it was going to because, um, and now it gets to the point when I option a book, I don't, I don't tell anybody because, um, with my first time, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what's going to happen. And we're going to, you know, and uh, Girl on 60 honestly was, it was um, optioned by Europa Corp, which was, was a huge studio. They did Lucy, they did La Femme Nikita, they did um, a lot of strong female roles. It was perfect for this book. And they had never optioned a movie without making it. So that was why there, and, and normally studios just option movies all the time, but we had a screen, a script written, we had a production company and we had the studio finally Europa Corp. And I, to this day, am the one book that they now can no longer say that because they optioned <laughs> my book and we signed the paperwork. The paperwork took over a year to get together. We signed the paperwork and the head of the studio quit two days later mm. and then died two weeks later. He like suddenly they found brain cancer and he died within weeks. Um, and it, my, my book was his baby. Like, you know, he was, he was my champion. And um, when he passed away, that was, I knew it that I, I mean, I knew as soon as he quit, I was like, Oh, you know, this, this is done. I didn't know then about his health problems, but um but he, uh, so that was, um, so I hope to have another, it's, it's an incredible experience. It's almost, I almost don't want to make another movie because I feel like it's such a, it's such a cool experience. Like with passion flicks, we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to take that experience away from another author because I got to, I got to have that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be great and exciting to do it again, but I don't, um, I want someone else to be able to experience that. I don't want to take that spot. Um, and they were just amazing to work. I mean, it was night and day. It was like, I went from the girl in 6 where I wouldn't have been allowed on set. I might have been able to come one day, you know, to dealing with passion flicks, who was like sending me all of the actors auditions and asking me which one I wanted. And, um, I could have sat on that set every single day if I wanted to, I was there for probably eight days out of the 26. 
Um, and they were just wonderful. They were really great. That's right. That's right. That's great. But, but the bottom line is don't wait for an up. A- book to be option to make your money. I mean, you know, count on that to make your money, right? Books. No. And, let that and, be and honestly, you don't make any, when I was, when I, if the girl in succeed big movie had been made and I had made it, let's say it had become like the movie of the year, right? Like, let's say it was the next Forrest Gump and it earned a billion dollars in yeah. revenue. I would have made like $450,000. That would have been the max I would have made ever on that movie. It wouldn't have mattered if it was the movie of the century. Uh, um, where you make your money, um, and with the Passion Flix movie, I, I mean, that I didn't make in, really anything on that. Um, not that I'm not grateful for <laughs> what I made. But where you make money when your book is made into a movie is book sales. Yeah. Um, so you make money, and that's why. Um, you know, Room, when Room was made into a movie, book, you know, Room hit the New York Times list, you know, um, that's how books sit on the New York Times list for 12 weeks, you know, because they're being made into a movie or a TV show. You didn't really explode as a book until the Netflix show. Um, so that's, uh, that is where, and that's what my agent told me from the beginning is like, if this is all about exposure and getting a deal, it's, uh, you know, and getting a print deal mm-hmm. and getting your book in airports and things like that. It's not, it's not about making a lot of money off the movie. And there's really, you know, we all like the idea of having a book made into a movie, but mm-hmm. is there, I don't think there's anything you can do to make that happen. Right. I mean, no, I mean, like I've taught, I won't share their names, but I have friends who have had wildly successful books and they have really pursued that. I mean, they've gotten film agents and they've gone out to Hollywood and they've met with producers and they've talked about self-financing and, and I mean, it's that, that's like a really long rabbit hole to go down. Um, there's really not, all you can do is write. There are ways you can write a book to make it more cinematic. Yeah. Um, there are ways you can structure the plot to make it more cin- cinematic. But C.D. Reese was a screenwriter, you know, before, I mean, she went to school for screenwriting. So her, she's always written her books in the, in the format of, of right. being a TV show or movie. And, right. and you just, it's like, it's either going to happen or it's not. And if you write romance, your chances are really slim. Right. Yeah. Um, the romance novel is, you know, you might get a Hallmark movie or something like that. And majority of the time, Passion Flix was a very rare rare exception but 90% of the time like my girl in 60 movie that script nothing like the book my favorite character in that book ends up being the villain I mean it that book wasn't anything like anything I don't even know I mean you it'd be hard to tell that they were the same Um, but Mm -hmm. that was something I I personally not emotionally attached to a book, a, a movie being the same as the book. If that right. book was my perfect vision, the movie is going to be their perfect vision. So, but for a lot of authors, that'd be really hard for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah that that is really hard for a lot of people. Yeah. 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 But sometimes you see a movie and they are extremely faithful and it doesn't work at all. So it's yeah, a different exactly. medium. So you kind of have to thing. hit that balance. They know, yeah. They know, they know their business and we yeah. know our business. So. Yeah. Well, moving back to books and marketing, is there anything that you wish you had known about marketing? Um, one, th- there are things I wish I knew about marketing. I mean, there's a lot I wish I knew about <laughs> marketing. 
Um, the main thing is, with marketing is, first of all, know, know your genre. And this is something I actually just learned about recently. I mean, I was 22 books in before I really learned about genre. And I learned it because I was working on my courses. And that's it's the beauty of <laughs> of being in this in this side business is that it it does help me a lot. But when I say like, oh, I've no, I know about genre, you know, it's, that's a, like an easy thing. Like everybody knows about genre, right? Like if this book's a romantic comedy, like what is there? No. But when you're writing a book from the very beginning, one of the earliest things you should do is decide what genre and subgenre that book is in, and then tailor everything for that learn about that genre learn what those readers expectations are on everything from cover to plot development to character development to what we call obligatory scenes the scenes that they expect to read in that genre and then and then make sure that the price the blurb and the cover all match that because there are a lot of books people are like, Oh, I don't know why this book wasn't successful. Well, it's because the cover and the description say rom-com, wow. but the interior of the book doesn't, you know? And, um, and those are a lot of things we just can't, it's not easy to put your finger on it and figure out why this book isn't working. But, um, but there's reasons. So that's part of it is like, um, marketing should be in your mind. From the beginning, um, when you're writing that book, you need to be thinking about how you're going to market that book. And you should be thinking about that when you're deciding what idea to write. Um, and then it needs to be a consistent and continual process. And for a lot of us, we scream about that book for the first two weeks and then we're just exhausted. Yeah. Right. And we don't mention that book again to our readers. <laughs> Like ever, you know, until it's on sale a year later. Like, so, um, so you, you have to do what you can for, and somebody who does this really well is Megan Quinn. If you watch Megan Quinn, uh, yeah. man, she yeah. is great at that. She, she heavily promotes two weeks prior and she really, you know, promotes for the three or four weeks after that. And then she, ha and then she's released another book. Yeah. So she has to move on. But for, for a lot of us who only release three or four a year, only release three or four a year. Like or less. Such, yeah. Or less. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in such a crazy industry. Um, you know, we, we could promote it for a lot longer, but we don't because we're just yeah. exhausted. Like we, we just want to crawl into bed and sleep for five months and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, so what changes have you seen like in your genre um, or in the business over the course of since 2012? Gosh, a lot. Um, yeah. Everything's gotten much slicker. Like in 2012, 2013, everybody was doing their own covers and they looked like it and it was fine because <laughs> readers were buying them. You know what I mean? Um, back then, everything was BDSM. Yeah. Um, I mean, you couldn't you pick up a romantic comedy and there was, you know, handcuffs and somebody, you know, <laughs> getting spanked, you know? Um, and, uh, and the, when I started, you know, Kindle Unlimited wasn't around. Um, KDP Select was a thing, but almost everybody was wide. And so it's really evolved a lot right now. The market, the market got really saturated. Um, yeah. And I'm, it, I think we're through that. I, I think the market is still, is still heavy, but it's not like it was. Um, I, if I look at 15 of my author friends who were writing full time two years ago, um, like six or seven of them have gone back to their day jobs. 
Um, so that really has helped to weed out the market. Yeah. Um, in, in a healthy way. Um, so, but what it's caused is a lot of people, book sales have, have gone down. So now, so where you didn't you used to see people writing 10 books a year. Um, if you did, it was because people took a normal book and divided it into three. Like that was a, that was something for a while. Like every book was released in three parts. It didn't matter if it was a $50,000, 50,000 word, you know, novel, it was released in three parts. Like that was just, that was a thing for like six months to a year. Um, so the main thing is you just have to be adaptable. Um, you have to be adaptable in your packaging and your marketing and you have to be ready to shift and pivot. And that is one thing that has really caused us. Traditional publishers are like backed way off romance. It is so hard to get a traditional deal in romance and it's because they can't compete with us right. like they just cannot compete with indies we can change our prices in a minute we can you know alter our covers we can take yeah. advantage and plan an easter sale you know in the course of a weekend or in the course of two hours and mm -hmm. they can't do that like so it's why we have dominated this space um and, and in part because the price point you know yeah. um yeah. yeah well You've given us so much good information and been so helpful. And I just have one question that wasn't on the list, but I have to ask it. How do you do all this? Because you seem to yeah. handle the, the writing and you've got your anchors gone and then you've got your courses and stuff. How do you do all that? Uh, I'm a crazy woman. Of the time. <laughs> What's funny is what's taking up the most of my time isn't even something anyone's even aware of. And that's um, I'm, the president of a tech startup that's launching. Um, well, it was going to launch like <laughs> this oh, month or, or next, but, but but we've pushed it back with everything going on with the economy and everything right now. But um, we're working on a new author site, um, a new reader site, something that's like a um, Goodreads to um, BookBub, you know, alternative. And, um, and on AI technology for authors and tools that can help them write better books. So those, those things are really taking up a lot of my time. But the way, the best thing I can say is I have days and, and times that are allocated to writing and that's protected. And that, and that is, I don't mess with that. So everything else, um, everything else kind of falls in and I just do the best I can. It's better to do something rather than do nothing. So even if it's, even if you can't have this really polished and gorgeous launch campaign, like, you know, it, it's, you, you need, it's better to do something rather than nothing, if that makes sense. And a lot of times we all focus so much on trying to make a teaser perfect that we end up not, you know, not creating a teaser. Right. Um, so I just do the best I can. And, um, and I've got a great, team around me. I need to really build a bigger team. Um, but I'm also a control freak. So <laughs> aren't we all it's the balance between the two? Yeah. And a lot of what I do, I can't have a team do, you know, I mean, I can't mm -hmm. have someone else put on a webinar and I can't have someone else design a webinar because I need to know what I'm talking about. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, so what is, the, what would you say one of the one or two things you've done to set yourself up, set yourself up for success. Like going. I, I would say um, my books have been the number one thing that have set me up for success. And half of that 
is just luck. It's just talent. It's just not, I, I can't claim it. You know, it's just, I, maybe it's from reading so much, you know, um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but the books, if you have a strong base of books and a strong product that can, that, that's your key really to success because you can do everything else. And if you don't have a great product and you know, then, then you're really putting a lot of time and effort. And, and that's something craft is something that so many authors ignore. And that really needs to be your focus because your books will sell themselves if, if they're strong enough. So I think um, my novels, even though they've been all over the place, um, I'm really proud of them. And I think they're, they're a key to my success. And then just being patient, you know, um, a lot of new authors, it's a, it's a hard business to be in because you see everyone else and everyone else seems to be doing great. It's like with the social media, you know, everyone, everyone talks about their high moments and celebrates their successes. But, um, but you just be patient. Like don't compare the number of people on your email list to the number of people on someone else's email list or your followers, someone else, or your sales rate, someone else. Just focus on your books. Make sure that you're having fun, you know, um, because otherwise you're going to get burnout and, and, and you're going to fall apart and you got to take care of yourself and your happiness. Uh, that's a good place to end. Thank you. That was very wise advice. I hope <laughs> so. Uh, so tell us where we can find you, uh, where our readers can find you. Um, sure. Yeah. So um, alessandratory.com is my reader site. All of my social media is there. I'm, I'm on all the social media. Instagram is probably where I'm most active. Um, and then my author site is Alessandra Torre Inc. I N K, like a pen ink. So if you go to alessandratorreinc.com, and here's just a side tip uh, for anyone who's picking a pen name, do not pick a pen name that can be spelled in four different ways. <laughs> Alessandra <laughs> is spelled A L E S S A N D R A. I should have been Katie. Right, something like no, no one has any issues spelling Katie, but um, but yeah, Alessandra Tori Inc. is if like the webinar that um, Jamie mentioned, all all of those things are there, and you can sign up for my newsletter if you want to stay in the loop. And we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll put all your links in the notes so everyone can find it. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely, thank you guys for having me. I've had so much fun. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit, too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.